Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Dragon's Demise, the podcast about what happens on, around, and behind the tabletop. I'm Greg B., joined by no one this week. Jacob is actually in South Africa for work, so for the next week or three, I will be hosting the podcast on my own. I'm going to do my best to make sure that it's not boring for you all. I'm going to have some great guests on, including my good friend Pedro, for this episode, and hopefully we'll be able to get through this until Jacob is back. But today we're going to be talking about some tips for GMs. Uh, RPGs is something that we talk about sometimes here on the podcast, and we haven't spent a lot of time talking about that lately, so we're going to have an episode devoted entirely to that. But before we jump into that, of course, no episode of Dragon's Demise would be complete without talking about what we, or rather I, have been playing lately. So... What have I been playing lately? Well, I last night just finished up a session of a game that a friend is running called Delta Green. I believe this is something that I've mentioned before. It is a Call of Cthulhu modern game, essentially. We play as members of a super secret task force called Delta Green, who are tasked with preventing Cthulhu and other Lovecraftian horrors from taking over and destroying the world. We are technically an arm of the federal government, though we operate without a lot of direct supervision. So last night we got to sort of resume one of our sessions that we had previously played. We're in the desert in Arizona investigating some disappearances that have taken place on an Indian reservation. Turns out that a lot of those bodies have been exsanguinated. There's a whole bunch of weirdness going on with that, and we got into a couple of situations that were pretty dire. Uh, I was personally not there, because my character is a a lawyer, but some of the more combat-slash-tracking-oriented characters ended up uh, in the middle of the desert where they got attacked by what was essentially like a space zombie. Sort of, it's unclear. There was a guy, he had gotten shot a whole bunch of times, by our medic, ironically, and then he got right back up and continued attacking people. So that was definitely terrifying for a lot of people. There was a creepy black orb that we were trying our best to bring back to headquarters, but unfortunately we were thwarted by an organization that looks like it's going to become sort of a recurring antagonist for the game, the Majestic 12. This is not something that my character was personally aware of, um, but apparently they're another sort of conspiracy oriented group. They operate as technically sort of an arm of the federal government, I think. It's unclear. Um, But they focus mostly on aliens. So given that this little black orb was an alien vessel, this fell under their jurisdiction, or at least they were able to throw their weight around and force us out. But that was that session. That was a lot of fun. Uh, I'm looking forward to, you know, where do we go from here? This was a sort of self-contained situation. We played it out in, in two sessions, and uh, it'll be interesting to see if we get into some of these more, you know, vignette-style episodic situations uh, and, and what kind of shenanigans we get into. So that uh, is something that I've been playing a lot. My parents were in town the weekend before this past weekend, and I had a chance to sit down with them and play. I introduced them to Terraforming Mars. Uh, Myself and my partner, we introduced them to Terraforming Mars. It was complicated, but my mom got second place, so congrats to her. She seems to be picking it up well enough. I've also had a chance to play some Mystic Veil, which of course has been fun, and then uh, Kingdom Builder as well. Kingdom Builder is one of those games that's not really one of my favorites, but It's simple enough and straightforward enough with a little bit of sort of higher order strategy. Okay, where do I put my settlements? What 
are the ways that I can gain access to terrain or maybe limit my access to terrain so that when I'm placing, I can place in areas that aren't necessarily contiguous. But it's definitely not my favorite. Uh, my partner agreed. Uh, but we're glad that we we sat down and played it, you know, do something a little bit different, keep things fresh around the board game scene. And yeah, that's a look at what I've been playing lately. I don't want to take up too much time because I know Pedro and I are going to have a lot to talk about when we give tips for GMs. All right, everybody, it's time for the topic of the week. I'm joined by my good friend, Pedro. Oh, hello, everyone. And today we're going to be talking about some tips for aspiring GMs. This obviously involves tabletop RPGs. Um, Anyone who's thinking about running one or maybe has run one in the past um, and thinks, you know, I could do better, uh, we're going to try to put together some, some pretty good tips to help you out. But before we begin, this is obviously Pedro's first time being on the podcast. Uh, thank you very much. And tell us a little bit about who you are and why you're qualified to give tips to aspiring GMs. Oh, thank you. Well, I don't know if I'm qualified, but I'll do my best. Uh, I've been playing D&D since pretty much freshman year of college. I played for all four years of college and afterwards. I've played multiple times, mainly D&D 3.5 originally, but I also have GM multiple campaigns for D&D 5e and my own homebrew system, but that is a start for another time. And then I have GM'd a few campaigns as well. I've played in a few campaigns, which you all have heard about. Um, mostly D&D, started out with 3.5 back in high school, done some 5e, did a little bit of 4th edition, uh, and I, I see why people don't like it. But lately, I've been doing a lot of 5e and a lot of Pathfinder. So those are my systems of choice. Yeah, well, if you want to start our first tip for the new GMs. Yeah, definitely. So we did a little bit of chatting beforehand to talk about, you know, what are some of our ideas. And one of the things that we agreed on most, you know, most vehemently was that when you're GMing a game, it's important that you understand the rules and apply the rules and be consistent in how you interpret and apply those, but also that you not be limited by the rules. If the game isn't feeling fun, either for you or for the players, don't be afraid to, you know, introduce some homebrew to the situation or make a situational change. And as long as you're upfront with your players about that, I think it's it's something that uh, a game can definitely benefit from. Yeah, I completely agree. And uh, a lot of my games, you always have the player that can be a little bit intimidating at first, but is always can be argued with, is the rule master that always wants you make sure everything goes according to the rules, and sometimes it can be like, oh, but that's not according to the rules, that's shenanigans. But at least on my experience, as long as you're upfront about it, and as the game begins, you're like, okay, I know the rule says that we need to go through seven different roles to find out if you're able to do an action or not. But I like to homebrew that you actually make two roles, and that pretty much decides if it works or not. If you're upfront about it, there shouldn't be a problem. But even though you're not going to be upfront about it sometimes, because you just don't think about it, it's impossible to think about every single improvement to the rules. Right. Um, you can always change it as the campaign progresses or as, as the game progresses. Just make sure you tell the players why you're doing it and what you're doing. As said, be concise about it. But um, I, I think that not being limited by the rules helps... Um, 
the flow of the game continue much better instead of having to stop for half an hour to find out what the rule is and how exactly to apply it to the game, especially in some kinds of RPGs such as Shadowrun, for example. I know that it took literally two hours to find out how an explosion's rules worked in the game and pretty much the entire session ended on that note and we never played the game again. Yeah, so. I, yeah I could see why. Two hours to figure out one rule. That's, that's worse than grapple. Indeed. Um, yeah, and that is a really good point that, you know, doing this sort of modifying the rules, streamlining things in a lot of cases uh, is really aimed at making things more fun and more... Um, fluid. Yeah, fluid. Fluid's a perfect term. And it's also a great opportunity to take some feedback from the players. You know, as, as the GM, you're the one who's going to be the final arbiter in these cases. But if your players come to you and say, hey, you know, a lot of us are struggling with this rule. A lot of us feel like it's, you know, sort of hamstringing us that we're not as powerful as we want to be, you know, that's something that you could could take under consideration and maybe say, all right, you know what, going forward, we're going to change this rule. We're going to do this with it instead. And just giving players the opportunity to give feedback on your play experience, which um, is actually a great segue into our second tip, which is that it's not just your game. As a GM, you know, you're the one who has created this campaign. You're the one who's running it. But it's, at the end of the day, a collaborative experience between you and the players, and you have to respect that if they're not having fun, then you're not doing your job right. Yeah, or um, going to add, that, that might be one of the causes, but it also might be that if they're not having fun, it's not necessarily that you're not doing your job right. Granted, that is completely plausible, and that might be some of the cases, but it can also be that it's just not a good match of the type of game. Uh, for example, that's why you should never be frustrated when the game doesn't go according to what you have planned. As you said, the game is a communal thing. You, you play with players. And technically, even though you're the GM, you're also a player in it. Uh, you set the scenario, but uh, a lot of the decisions are out of the control, mm-hmm. um, out of your control as a GM. And I think that um, as long as there is communication between the GM and the players, you can always find a solution, even if that solution is we're going to have to stop this game, because that might be a possibility. I've, I've, I've been through occasions where some players didn't like that game style. I know some GMs are more focused on RP and storytelling, uh, like myself. I love world building and detail, a lot of characters, and creating very intricate backstories. But I understand that that is not the type of game that every player likes to play. I know some players that like to just goof around and just murder hobo, yeah. that kind of stuff. No, that's that's a really good point, is that you, know, you have to recognize going in that people are going to have different expectations, and if everyone's not on the same page, you know, if, if you have a party of lawful good paladins and then you have one lawful evil, I don't know, sorcerer rogue or whatever thrown into the mix they have probably a different expectation of what they want to do. And you can try to make that work. You know, from a role-playing standpoint, maybe that's interesting. Maybe the, the rogue plays off the paladin um, and they sort of, you know, get into a tiff, but the, the party overcomes it and it is stronger for it. But if it, it starts to become a recurring thing and it starts to detract from everyone's gameplay experience, I think you're absolutely right. Really don't be afraid to say, hey, guys, you know, maybe this isn't working out. We are looking for this type of experience. You're looking for this type of experience. 
let's just you know find uh, separate groups. Yeah, uh, I mean, don't don't be afraid to be stuck in a game that you don't like, or vice versa. Um, as long as, as I said, there's communication. I think that's the most essential part. Yeah, definitely. Um, tip three, I think we're on now. Uh, is one of the things that uh, you hear a lot of times is that railroading is bad, right? You know, you don't want to strong arm your players. You don't want to say, oh, I know you're interested in what the blacksmith is doing, but I wrote the session that you would go talk to the king. And so you're going to go talk to the king. You don't want to do that. You know, you don't want to force your players to do something they don't want to do for exactly the reason we've been talking about, because it's a collaborative experience. But one of the things that really good GMs do is that they make their players want the thing that they want their players to want. They, they make their players invested in the scenario and invested in the same things that the GM wants out of the session in terms of plot hook, in terms of plot direction, and things like that. Yeah, I agree. And um, as I said, from experience, uh, if you allow the players to have absolute power over every decision, which I tried doing a few times, running like a very sandboxy kind of campaign. I mean, it is doable, but it is hard. You gotta have a GM, and at that time, it wasn't that experienced in the beginning, and as well as players, they are experienced and accustomed to play a sandbox type of game. And at least for a suggestion, if you're trying to run a sandbox, what I would say is have them start together with a tied background. Because running a sandbox type of game with all players having completely different backstories and completely different interests, it's a nightmare. Right. Well, and it's like, how do you get on the same page in the first place? Exactly. So if you're not railroading them and forcing them to be together and giving them like absolute say on their decisions and they have no common interest for most of the time, it's going to be very hard to make it work out. But granted, there, there are ways to make it work out. Uh, one of the tips that I would suggest players, if they want to kind of tie the party together and um, help them follow wrong, like basically railroading but not really railroading, uh, it's putting a time limit or some form of constraint on their decisions. Uh, what I mean by that is, for example, let's say they're taking too long to decide on what to do. Let's say they're figuring out if they're going to go to City A versus City X put a constraint and be like, oh, the inn that you guys are in is start to get attacked by a roving band of barbarians that you guys can't deal with. It's way too big. Uh, and be clear that the challenge that you're putting, the constraint they're putting, is out of their realm of possibilities to deal with. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, you're going to be like, oh, there's a huge roving band of orcs attacking the and you're staying at, and they're like, okay, let's fight the huge roving band of orcs, <laughs> and you have a TPK. Uh, be clear on that, but that, at the same time, gives that push, where it's like, okay, we got to make the decision now where we're going, because we can't stay here anymore. Uh, something on, on that type of um, uh, line of thought that helps push the game around. That's a one personal suggestion that I have. Yeah, yeah. Another great thing to do in terms of making your players invested, this is actually something that Um, one of my good friends and one of the best GMs I've ever played under has done is give your characters unique magic items that then have, you know, tie-ins and and ways to be upgraded that are relevant to certain things in the plot, certain things that you want them to do. You know, because there's a, a world of difference between 
going to a dungeon and finding a sword that is better than your current sword and going to a dungeon because the sword that you have used to belong to a knight who was captured and killed inside this dungeon and by going there you can release his spirit and empower your sword it just feels more personal and it feels more like something that the player wants to be doing that they want to you know I'm going to go out and I'm going to empower myself rather than, oh, I got a random piece of loot off of a table somewhere because we happened to step into this dungeon. So you want to push your players and you can do it with sort of the stick method of, okay, there's a giant gang of orcs that's descending on you that would totally murder you if you tried to fight them. Or you can do it with the carrot of, you know, here's a way to upgrade your really unique magical item. Here's, um, you know, a really compelling NPC, really compelling NP, uh, recurring NPCs is a great way to do it. If players like, you know, um, I, I had a gnome character one time named uh, Rumpelstiltskin, who was just, you know, a total goofball throwaway character, but the players loved him. And so eventually when I needed them to sort of go in one particular direction, I said, okay, I think a good way to do this is going to make Rumpelstiltskin be in trouble and have him asking for help. And because the players already had that relationship, because they liked the character, they were invested in that situation, they wanted to help him. Mm-hmm. And going off of that, I think I have a, a rule 3.5 and maybe a fourth. Basically, 3.5, going off of guiding the player towards what they want. One important factor as a GM, you want to, before the game start and as the game progresses, always keep in mind their backstory and build a backstory with them. Uh, and some players might not like it, so you don't need to go in that much detail, but if a player likes it, go and like do a detailed backstory, and there's dozens of lists of questions and ways that you can go about that that I don't think we need to go through here. You can easily find on Google, um, like, five questions that you got to ask your players um, for their backstory, kind of thing as a gem, and that helps a lot. Uh, it gives you also a lot of content, like, if you're struggling on, like, creating content generating the world just by creating that backstory with your player they're they are going to give you all the content you need a lot of the content you need yeah um and the fourth rule that i meant is also a little bit similar as like the second rule but um understanding their different kind of players and adapting that into the game once you find like players that are eager to play your game um don't be a scared if you see that some players are quieter than others and some players will always want to take the lead uh, sometimes that might not be the case where a player is overshadowing everyone uh, and then you've got to talk to them and or try to fix it by game mechanics. But be aware that some players are just there for the roles and creating a character that does really good one thing. And that's a why, a, like the entire reason why they're there is because they want to fight. So if they're a little bit like not doing much, doing a more RP time... And or, or if they don't want, you can always give them like a carrot or something to try to see if they bite it and mm-hmm. if they join in the RP. But if they don't want it, that's fine. Like some players are there for the roles in the fight, as other players are there only for the RP. And so if a player is not really interested in the backstory and the like uh, lore of the world and is there just for the roles and the fighting and the mechanics... Don't be afraid to focus the lore a little bit more on that player that is all about the lore. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's what I, try, I was trying to say. Understand there are two different types of players and don't be afraid to tailor your game accordingly. There you go. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense.
And then the last thing, probably rule five that we're going to get to talk about here is a sort of tip for avoiding fatigue. Um, A lot of first-time GMs and a lot of experienced GMs will bite off more than they can chew in terms of, you know, they come up with this really ambitious thing, whether it's it's world building, whether it's a plot, whether it's, you know, this, that, or the other. They come up with a thing and they get in over their heads in terms of building out too much of it. They want to build out every single detail of this world. They want to build out every single detail of this convoluted plot. Basically, they want to write a novel and then try to have players play through it. And what it's important to realize as a GM, for all of the reasons that we've already discussed, is that that's not something that can really work. What you want to do is just take it a little bit at a time. Build out a skeleton, absolutely, because it, you know, a plot and a, a world is going to benefit greatly from a situation in which you've sort of thought through the general trajectory, but you really don't want to get into the specifics because that's a whole bunch of effort that you've spent creating a thing that may or may not actually get utilized. And then if it doesn't get utilized, you know, that leads to real sense of burnout. You know, you've created this thing. You've spent hours lovingly rendering this, again, whether it's a world or a plot, whatever it is, and then to have your players sort of brush past it can be really disheartening. And rather than, you know, have to experience that, it's really best to just avoid it entirely by sketching out the bare bones of whatever it is that you need and then, you know, filling in some of the meat for your first two, maybe three sessions and letting your players dictate where to go from there. Obviously, if it's, you know, if you play a years-long campaign here, if you if it turns into an entire campaign setting where people spend multiple different campaigns, then you can kind of invest more time and more effort into some of the consistencies, putting together some strings that tie together these very disparate elements. But just in terms of, of helping you avoid the strain that comes along with, really, it is a lot of work being a GM. Um, and so anything you can do to ease that burden is is beneficial. I, I completely agree. Uh, you should always have a scout and have like points. That's what I usually do. I have a uh, Specific points. This is where they are. This is what I want them to be for, like, the arc. Or this is where the big bad guy is going to be. And let them make their way. That might take some time, so it might require a lot of carrots and sticks, as you said. But um, don't flesh everything out, because they might take a completely different path, and you you design stuff. Really. And if you don't mind, I have four quick like mini rules oh man uh, just say mini very quickly, here we go all right rapid fire let's just, go just to, to, to wrap it up first of all plan one session ahead i'd say that's a rule of thumb that i always follow at least one session ahead usually at the end of your session you already have a good idea of what they're gonna do so you can plan a little bit more like plan the next session and a little bit of the other one yeah. so if it if they go through the session really quick you have some extra material to kind of like fill it up. Second, limit your time of playing to usually three, four hours. From experience, that is a good amount of time, especially if you're starting and players are new. They can like get fatigued from the game very quickly. Third one, if you're a starting GM, limit yourself to four players max. Having a lot of players can be very hard to deal with and can be very confusing for like a beginner GM. Even myself today, I usually limit myself to maximum six people. Right. Like maximum. I prefer four to five. 
And having more players also puts stress on, like, designing encounters. The more players you have, the more difficult it is to design a balanced encounter. Exactly, and having a lot of players makes the game more tiring because it takes a lot of time between one player's turn or one player's time to do something and the next one. Lastly, uh, I believe that's one of the things that we talked about too, but I'm going to include in one of my four quick (laughs) tips. Uh, The fourth one is don't be... Don't dislike pre-written material. It's it's wonderful. I know a lot of GMs are like, oh, I'm gonna create my own world and pre-written and pre-gen content is like uh, bad. No, it's not. Like you don't need to come up with everything. You can add your own lore and your own like spices to a pre-written material, but is amazing. And you're probably gonna find that out as you GM that having a bunch of pre-written stuff that you can get from the internet. It's amazing because you can quickly grab that and use it as like a filler point yeah. in your game. As well as, let's say you're designing this new area they're coming to. You can grab a map from a city. You don't need to design each house. You grab a map that you find interesting in the internet and you add your own lore to it. like Or vice versa. Yeah. No, it's definitely a quick way to sort of prepare for those contingencies where players are going to move in a direction that you don't expect. Oh, crap. You know, I haven't written an encounter for them going into the, I don't know, the bad part of town. I figured that would dissuade them. Let me go find an encounter that's uh, some bandits, some cutthroats, you know, whatever it is. Throw that in there. Uh, Crap, I didn't plan for them to talk to this NPC. Let me find sort of a pre-generated NPC. It can be as small as that. It can be as big as an entire country that, you know, you just kind of pull out, plop down, and put... Some, some new lore on. Really don't be afraid of pre-written content as a way to flesh out your own plot. I agree. Yeah. Lastly, I promise, this is <laughs> going to be the last thing. In pre-written materials, uh, I know a lot of players are like, oh, i got to have my own role, but people that write pre-written materials usually, one, have a lot of experience in it, mm-hmm. and two, they are amazing. Once you stop to read it, uh, they, uh, of course, there are bad ones everywhere, but some of them have so much detail, and it's actually fun to run games in pre-gen worlds. Like, you can have an entire campaign entirely tailored by you, you just use the base world that has this amazing amount of content just for you. Yep. Alright, well there you go. That's uh, some of our tips for aspiring GMs, for experienced GMs. Hopefully you learn something, hopefully you'll be able to improve your own D&D experience, or even if you're not a GM, if you're just a player, hopefully this gives you some uh, appreciation for the hard work that your GM puts in to make sure that you have a good time. That is indeed uh, a good thing, because appreciate your GM. That is actually the last (laughs) rule. Yeah, rule for players. For players, appreciate your GM, because you might just go there and like, oh yeah, we have to play a game, it's fun, it's done, but DGM puts a lot of work, usually. At least I put a lot of work whenever I run a campaign, whenever I run games. So, you know, appreciate one thing that I would ask is that once a game is done, help your GM pack the stuff. You know, he brings <laughs> like six, ten different books to the session, a bunch of other stuff for everyone. It doesn't hurt to help him pack, you know. Sorry, this is just from a bad experience little, little that I had, peeve. you know? Yeah, it's a I, pet peeve. It's just like, the game was done, everyone laughed, and I was like, well, I guess I'm just going to pack everything by myself. Yeah. Don't leave Pedro alone, kids. Don't, don't leave me the, alone, That's guys. the PSA. Thank you very much, Pedro, for joining me on this episode of the podcast. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. I uh, hope everyone had fun. 
uh, with my little experience GMing. Yeah. And uh, hopefully I'm going to be back one day. I'm sure you will. With some more tips. There you have it. Thanks to everyone for joining us on the topic of the week. Uh, and Jacob will still be out for next week's session. So be sure to tune in when I sit down with Thomas DeSalvo. He is the actor in the movie Tournament, which just uh, had its first screening here in D.C. Uh, this will be a couple of days ago now at the time that this episode airs. Uh, so we sit down to talk about the movie, talk about his experiences uh, with the gaming community.